Okay. Thank you. Jane's with me tonight. Now, that is important. Uh, you, you have a better chance of me finishing on time tonight. Uh, she's not picked up Dylan's ministry entirely, but she does know about this. <laughs> so, it's uh, great she's able to be here tonight and I see some old friends. Very good to see Alison Bodger and people I missed this morning. And Malcolm's come to church twice today. This is pretty good. <laughs> so we're delighted to be here. And we're talking, as you know, about the God we can trust. And uh, just remember what we're going to do. We did God's wisdom this morning, God's power tonight. And just so you know where we're going, God's faithfulness next week. Even in trouble, God is faithful. And then we're going to finish up this time next week. I'm excited about it. It's God's plans. Big picture stuff. Aaron said, wow, I tell you, if you get the full story, it's astounding what God has planned. And that's where we're going, but we've got to get there. And so, first of all, I want to review this morning, because you've probably forgotten what I said. We talked about wisdom. I said, wisdom is knowing the best thing to do to get the best possible result. And we pointed out that God's really the only all-wise one, and God's wisdom reflects his nature. That it's not just knowing stuff. He's a just, loving, good, and totally reliable God. And because he knows all things, and he's totally good, then God always knows what is best in every possible situation. So, number one reason for trusting God is because of that. That he knows stuff. He's totally good, and he's all wise. But there's more than that, and we want to get to know God's power tonight. This is... Getting to know God, time has got these important characteristics, and tonight it's the God of power. You know, I've got to tell you, uh, recently I went back to uh, walk the corridors by my old office at the McMaster University, and I was just walking by nostalgically when a graduate student pushed by me, rushed through the door, he let the door slam in my face without a word of apology, and I stood there. And I was powerless to do anything about it. And I stood there, rubbing my nose and thinking back nostalgically to the days when I had power. When my nickname was Dynamite Dave. I I had power because, well, I had a research group. I chaired a graduate program. I was a professor at the university. In those days, man, I could have popped in a lab and said, Tony, drop by my office at 10 o'clock. And he'd look worried, and he'd say, politely, yes, sir. And he'd knock timidly at my door, uh, precisely at 10 a.m. And I, because I had power to influence his life. I even had power to end his career if he didn't shape up. And of course, his response recognized that. And I realized when the door hit me, what a difference having power made. There was nothing I could do but stand there. But the power I wanted was human power. Human power is the ability to direct and influence and change the course of events uh, or control people's lives. Uh, and, and a lot of people want that stuff. I know if it's politicians in particular, you're hearing that in this country. You know, we just recently had an election, and I want to tell you, there's some differences between Canada and the U.S. This is our former prime minister. A few days after he was thrown out of power, we've got a new guy, and he's just standing on the station 
We don't have a lot of bodyguards for ex-presidents like you do. He's just waiting for the train forlornly because he's out of power. We have a new Prime Minister now who's got power, a young fellow called Justin Trudeau. In fact, you know, Justin Trudeau, our new guy, is the only Canadian, only Canadian Forbes list of 73 most powerful people in the world. The only thing that encouraged me, he was number 69, but then, I don't think this will stay that way for long, but then he was ahead of Donald Trump. (laughs) Good for you, Justin. Anyway, these are people who seek power, and the world's full of examples of how human power is so easily corrupted, so easily misused for self-interest. I mean, we witness that every day as desperate refugees flee powerful dictators who are so determined to, to maintain total control that they'll even kill their own people to what? Keep their power. And of course, human power is usually primarily in the interest of the powerful person not so much in the interest of the ones they control. It's a seductive business. You know, even Paul Linus here. <laughs> he says, school president, me? She says, why not? I'll be a campaign manager. Lucy's already ready to help. Oh, I said, I could never be school president. Think of the work. Think of the responsibility. She says, think of the power. Oh, man, he says, I'll do it. <laughs> I'll do it. Very seductive. Uh, We don't really see this on TV, but the following program, it said, was made by rich, powerful people who want to control your mind. (laughs) Well, that may or may not be true, but that's human power. It seeks to control. Control, and, And very often it's in the interest of the powerful person. I don't want to say this because it's a huge contract. A contrast when we think of God's power. See, tonight I'm talking about the power God has. And we're looking at the way God uses it, and we're going to discover that although God is all-powerful, and will actually ultimately use his power to destroy evil, and we're going to talk about that tomorrow and next Sunday night, but, but you see, God uses power in a very different way. He actually calls more than controls when he directs events. And he always does that in the best interest of all those who actually welcome his influence and, and respond to his call. Wonderful thing to respond to the call of Christ and let him take over. Because it's, it, it, it's a whole different ball game. And so I want to explore that tonight. And there are three questions we're going to look at. I mean, I want to go into some depth about what power God has. We said he's all-powerful, but I want to elaborate that. We'll talk about how God shows his power. How does he use his power? Because it, it contrasts with the story I've given of human power markedly. And of course, we always want to be practical, like this morning. How can we know the wisdom of God? Well, how can we experience God's power in our lives? Again, this is not theology one-on-one. It's a, it's a message to get you moving So you allow a wise and powerful God to direct your life and you really trust him. So let's get into this. What power does God have? Well, if you study the Bible, of course, you'll know that that through Scripture there are many names that God uses to describe his many attributes. 
And the names that God uses to reveal himself are very instructive. And one of the names in the Old Testament is this Hebrew term El Shaddai. And El Shaddai means the all-sufficient one. It's translated in our Bibles generally as God Almighty. God Almighty. That's the way God is described. So, for example, I've got Genesis 17 down there. That's, that's when God appeared to Abraham. And, and, and he, he, he reaffirmed his covenant. God was making promises to Abraham, wonderful promises. And he goes to Abraham, and this is how he identifies himself. He says, I am God Almighty. And what's interesting to me is that if you turn to the Old Testament prophecies about the coming of the Messiah, the Lord Jesus, it includes the same term, a recognition of his power. So, for example, the great Christmas prophecy in Isaiah 9-6, Christ is called Mighty God. God Almighty, Mighty God. These are the terms used in the Old Testament. Just to remind us that, that whether you're talking God the Father, God the Son, they're both all-powerful. And that means that they're always able to achieve their purposes to the fullest extent. No limitations. And of course, we have that reaffirmed from this morning. Remember from this morning that important verse, 1 Corinthians one twenty-four, that Christ and this is a combination of the two messages. Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. And it's putting wisdom and power together that makes God totally trustworthy. And so it means if Christ is a power of God and the wisdom of God, and we pointed out that was the cross, that means that all the plans of the triune God, we've got to think of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit as a unity all the plans of the triune God will be carried out until they reach the triumphant conclusion. That's why you've got to finish this series talking about God's plans because God's will is never frustrating. How often is what we want frustrated never with God? The theologians describe this ability of God to do all things as his omnipotence. We believe in an omnipotent God. It, it simply means he's all-powerful. That's the nature of God. And scripture is clear on that. Have no doubt about the omnipotence of God. All through scriptures. I love these statements. Psalm 115.3 Our God's in the heavens. He does whatever he pleases. Have no doubt who's in control, and that's important to remember in this troubled world. And we saw this morning that, that God is both wise and good. Now God's wise, good, and all-powerful. So what it means is we reaffirm he's able to do the best thing to bring about his desired outcome in every situation. And you see it all through Scripture. You see it in God's ability to overcome apparently insurmountable obstacles. Uh, when we were thinking about Genesis and Abraham and God's promises, you think of Genesis 18 when you read God's promise was given that Sarah would have a son, even though she was past childbearing age, and he promised this 25 years earlier. But time went on and Sarah knew this was impossible. I mean, this was crazy. So when God reaffirmed his promise, she just laughed. <laughs> this is absolutely impossible. But you see, because of God's power, it happened. 
And that's the difference. God's power. It happens. And you see through Scripture, you know, one of the great conclusions of the prophet Jeremiah about God, he heard God's promise to Israel, and I won't give all the background, but at a time when Israel was um, in a desperate state, in a time when it seemed highly unlikely it could ever happen, God gave a promise that Israel become prosperous. And it, it was made at a time and it just seemed impossible. And Jeremiah responded like this. Wonderful statement. Jeremiah 32, 17, he said, Our Lord God, you made the heavens and the earth. Everything's, you know, we talked this morning, founded in creation. I'm going to talk about creation tonight. But you made the heavens and earth. By your great power, nothing is too hard for you. Absolutely confident of God's power. And that, of course, is a New Testament idea. Similarly, an important conclusion like this was made by the Lord Jesus himself. There was a dialogue in Matthew 19, uh, and in verse 26, he was talking to the disciples about how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. You should be thankful, like, like me, that you're not too rich. <laughs> it is a problem for some people. And Jesus was talking about that, uh, and the disciples said, well, who then can be saved? And Jesus made this lovely statement. He said, look, with men, it is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. That's what Jesus said. All things are possible. So just be absolutely clear. I know you know this, but be absolutely clear, both from Scripture and from experience. And never forget your experience. God is all-powerful. Because there is a trivial pursuit question that comes to mind. Is there anything God can't do? You're a bright crowd. Who, what, what, can you think of anything God can't do? Can't lie. can't lie. Right? You've got the one I wanted. You see, there are things God can't do. And, and because he can't lie, we can trust him. That's another reason. We're going to talk about that. Actually, when you think about it, God will only do those things that are consistent with his character. We talked about his character this morning. So God can't sin or be cruel or unjust or unconcerned with our affairs. That's not his character. Actually, he can't fail to do what he promises. He actually can't undo the past, whatever the science science fiction movies say, because he can wipe out its effects, it can even wipe out our memory of it. But the main thing I want to get is just what Malcolm said, God cannot lie. And that's a very important reason why you can trust God completely, not just depend on God, but trust him absolutely and completely. Hebrews 6, to show his unchangeable plans. Remember that, God has a plan, and we're going to see next Sunday, it's not going to change. To show his unchangeable plans, God guaranteed them with an oath. This is, this is a guarantee you like to have. So that by two unchangeable things in which it's impossible for God to lie, we might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. It's hard not to understand these scriptures, isn't it? Absolutely clear. He is a God we can fully trust. And that's what I've got to get across tonight. I don't want to have any doubt, whatever circumstances you're in, that you can trust God. And it's hard sometimes 
you, I hinted this morning about the valley we've been through with Jane's experiences and bereavement, and we're going to bring come back to that to next Sunday. But we can fully trust God, and we're going to see that. Because God uses his power in wonderful ways. And that was our next question, was it? How does God use his power? Well, he uses his power in many ways. I'm just going to pick four important examples of how God uses his power, the big ones. Obviously, in creation. If anything talks about the power of God, it's creation. But it's the miracles he performs. And of course... We're going to see next Sunday night that he controls the course of history. And wonderfully, and this is a big one, God uses his power to change the human heart. So these are the four examples we want to use. Creation, the miracles he performs, controlling the course of history, and changing the human heart. Let's look at those. God's power. Now, I've talked about creation before when I used to blow things up and we did all that apologetics, so we're not going to spend much time on it. But let's go back to that anchor verse because we're talking about God's power. Romans 1.20 Since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power, His divine nature have been clearly seen. People say, I can't see God, because they're understood from what has been made. So that we are without excuse. And one of the convincing evidences of God's power is the way in which this whole universe popped into existence at a point in time. When I was an undergraduate, I told you, this is not what science said, and it was a struggle for some Christians. But you see, we now know there was a moment when time and space and energy and matter all began to exist. The moment of creation. So this universe, a vast universe, maybe a hundred billion galaxies, each with billions of stars like our sun, that we, we can't even think about. This wonderful universe is what? It's fine-tuned just right for life. And if this was a science class, we'd go to all these constants, Hubble's, Planck's, speed of light, you name it. The fundamental constants of nature, just right for life. And if this was apologetics and science night, we would do that stuff. But we go to this tonight, that by faith we understand the universe was formed at God's command. So what is seen, and this is a wonderful pre-scientific statement that says exactly what science says what is seen is not made out of what was visible you know in terms of power it's interesting to note that science talks about the moment of creation as a big bang I gotta tell you whatever you choose to call it the creation event turned out to be just right for life and I thought well, I'll give you one more example of that I've talked about them in the past so I've just got a very short clip to point out that this warm, wet niche, Earth, in this vast universe, is in every way just right for life. And I'm just going to pick one example um, about the way in which the Earth is perfectly placed in relation to the sun and moon, so we can live comfortably, despite, I mean, I say live comfortably, you should have lived through a Canadian winter sometime. And when I looked at the winter, I thought, well, you know, what's God thinking? This is really cold. Someone reminded me, no, no, God looks after full-time preachers in Florida, January and February. <laughs> so I'm looked after. But, but seriously, it is wonderful. And let's just uh, hear this little clip. 
The tilt of the Earth's axis is an ideal 23.5 degrees. When you combine that with our moderate 24-hour rotation period, it gives us seasonal changes and a temperate climate. Even the size and distance of our moon is nearly perfect. Its gravitational pull controls the daily movement of the tides so they're strong enough to cleanse the shorelines without flooding the continents. So when you start comparing these different factors, the uh, size of the planet, the distance from the sun, the tilt of the Earth's axis, the rotation period, the existence of the moon, the composition, the atmosphere, and on and on, the number of things that come together is truly remarkable. And uh, when you see that kind of evidence, then that suggests very strongly that it didn't just happen, but was caused to happen. Again, someone designed or planned it that way. Someone designed it that way. You know, no wonder Isaiah 40, it's a great chapter, says, look, lift up your eyes, look to the heavens. Who created all this? He who brings out the starry host, one by one, calls forth each by name, because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. Again, the power of God. But it's seen in so many ways. God's power is seen in the miracles he performs. Of course, Scripture is full of the record of unnatural events that we call miracles, like the plagues in Egypt or the parting of the sea to facilitate the escape from Egypt. Events like the one we mentioned where in order to fulfill the promise to Abraham and Sarah, he gave them the son Isaac, born in old age. Little miracles. I say the little miracles because, well, there's some really big ones. And the really big ones are what I want to talk about because God's power is seen most directly in the birth, life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Christ. I've got to tell you, every event associated with the coming and resurrection of Christ Every event is attributed to God's power in Scripture. In the New Testament, when Christ's birth was announced to Mary, she was told that his miraculous virgin birth would take place by the power of God. So Luke 1.35, the angel says to Mary, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And in his life... Here, Christ showed his power over nature, of course. He still the storm in Mark 4. He walked on the water in Matthew 14 and so forth. The Lord's power is evident in, in so many miracles that he performed. And in fact, so much so, let me tell you, that in his life, people were awestruck by the evidence of what is power. So look at this, Luke 9:43. when he healed the boy and gave him back to his father, it said they were all amazed, what? At the power of God. And, while they, and listen to this, while everyone was marveling at all that Jesus did, he said to his disciples, look at the next verse, listen carefully. And when Jesus said that, we better do it. Listen carefully to what I'm about to tell you. The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. People forget Christ's death was expected, predicted, and planned. But you say, well, how can death demonstrate power? I mean, death demonstrates weakness and defeat. No, his death is an astounding example of the power of God because when Christ died, 
You remember those events. There was an unnatural daytime darkness. Remember the temple curtain was torn from the top to the bottom to gain access into the holy place. The earth shook. You know, resurrection started. Holy people came out of the tombs. It was an astounding time. So much so that, that Matthew 27 says, when the centurion, when he saw the earthquakes and all that happened, he was terrified and exclaimed, surely he was the son of God. So it was power in death. But, you know, the greatest demonstration of the power, of the Lord's power was in his resurrection. Because he said in John 10, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down on myself because I have power to lay it down and I have power to take it again. In fact, Paul says in Romans 1.4, he was declared to be the Son of God with power. How? By the resurrection from the dead. The power of God is seen in every event of Christ's life. Think of the ascension and his second coming. You know, in his first coming, um, yeah, okay, in his first coming, people did get an occasional glimpse of the glory and power of Christ. But you think of his second coming, Matthew twenty-four thirty, and then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and with great glory. The ascension, Matthew 26. He said, I tell you hereafter, you'll see the Son of Man sitting at the right end of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. Every event from Christ's birth to his second coming was designated in Scripture as a demonstration of God's power. And of course, the big picture is, and this is why I want to talk about God's plans next week, God's power seen in the course of history. Paul said an amazing thing in his sermon in, in Mars Hill in Acts 17. He said, look, God himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. Don't forget that. From one man he made all nations that they should inhabit the whole earth and he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. Very important statement because history is his story. Geography, history, anthropology, all this stuff, it's all shaped by what? The power of God. Now that's something we can't go into tonight, it's a long story, but I, I want you to understand that, 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 well if you study prophecy and its fulfillment, you'll see clearly that God Almighty controls history to fulfill his purposes. And I will get back to that next week. Because I want to move quickly to number four, because God's power is seen supremely in his power to change the human heart. Ultimately, I say the measure of God's power is really not in his ability to create things or perform seemingly impossible physical feats, but rather in doing something which humans could never do and have never been able to do to alter human nature and change the human heart. Scripture talks about us being desperately wicked but the thing about God, he doesn't do it the human way. The human way is control and coercion. That's why I talked about human power at the beginning. No, God, Jesus says it by care and by calling. And he made it clear that his power 
It went way beyond the physical realm. We think the miracles are wonderful, but he employed his power to heal others in order to show something very important that his power extended to forgiving sins. And that's why one of the many reasons why we know Jesus was God in the flesh. And so, for example, when that paralyzed man was let down in faith in the roof and Jesus healed him, he, in Luke 5.24 we read, as he did this, he said, I want you to know, I want you to know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. Oh, as a sinner, I'm so thankful for that. Power to forgive sins. And I've got to there's so many people here tonight, they'd love to interrupt my sermon and give personal testimony to God's power to change our lives. You see, because when Christ grants forgiveness and salvation to those who turn to him in repentance and faith, the whole nature is changed by his Holy Spirit. That's what testimony is. And if you haven't experienced that, remember the gospel is an invitation to come. I assume most of you are born again believers, but if you don't know life-changing experience because you've had a life-changing encounter with Christ, oh, talk, talk to Malcolm or David or one of us tonight because it's so important. You see... And by the way, if you don't understand about Hubble's constant and the tilt of the earth, and you think, oh man, all that size, let me tell you, you can witness most powerfully for Jesus by telling people, let me tell you what Jesus has done for me. There isn't an older person who never graduated from school who couldn't tell them about a life-changing experience when they know Jesus. So don't be discouraged in your witness. You can witness to the life-changing power of Jesus. And I've got to tell you, nobody here tonight needs to despair thinking it's impossible for them to be fundamentally changed. Of course we can't change ourselves. We can't pull ourselves up by our shoelaces. But the scripture teaches, and we've found in experience, God can and does change our desires. He changes our aspirations. He gives us a new nature. And, and that simply comes by acceptance of Christ as Savior and Lord. And that's why it's so important to accept Jesus. And, and, and it's a wonderful thing, and I want to explore that more now by getting to the personal side of experiencing God's power. And, and really explore that. How can you experience God's power in your life? Well, step one is to receive Jesus, of course. But I want to encourage you, if you're a believer and feel, I don't really feel much of God's power in my life. The first thing I want to say, God doesn't expect you to do it in your own strength. Some people think God wants us to be some kind of superman doing amazing things, but, but it's not what Scripture teaches. In fact, Scripture says, the way he chooses, I, and I can't explain this, but it's God's choice. He chooses to work in partnership with us. And, and central to all the Bible teaches is that our strength is made perfect, and we had it this morning, so important, in weakness. God's power in our everyday life is the recognition that we're saved and we're kept and constantly empowered for life and ministry, not by any strength we might have, but only by the power of God through what I talked about this morning, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, because his strength's made perfect in weakness. 
the essence of Paul's prayer, and we forgot to read that passage, but Ephesians 3, very important, I was going to have that read and forgot it, but, but the essence of Paul's great prayer in Ephesians 3 is believers might experience power. And in verse 17, he said something very important in his prayer, that God would grant you to be strengthened with power through his Holy Spirit in the inner person. Very important statement. The good news, you see, is that your weakness is not a barrier to the power of God. In fact, it's just the opposite. If you recognize your weakness, that's the basis for turning to God and depending on his power to work in us. If you think you can do it, you're in bad shape. If you turn to God because you know you can't, that's the way. That's and why is that, by the way? It's so that, Paul made it clear, it's so that God receives all the glory. If it's done in the power of God, then he receives the glory. And Paul said, 2 Corinthians 4, 7, look, we have this treasure where? In earthen vessels. Just regular guys. Why? That the surpassing greatness of the power may be of God and not from ourselves. So, in fact, if you feel weak, then you're in just the right state for God to give you his empowerment. That's why Paul frequently reminds us, he said, it's very important that your faith doesn't rest in human wisdom, doesn't rest in human strength, it rests in what? The power of God. Wonderful statements Paul made in 1 Corinthians 2. He, even his preaching, man, could Paul preach? Man, he was such a bright, well-educated university graduate. He said, but my preaching's not in the pers- the persuasive words of human wisdom, but in the demonstration of the Spirit and the power that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but the power of God. You link that with what we said this morning. So you can experience God's power, and how can you do it? It's a bit like wisdom. We experience God's power by recognizing, number one, our total dependence on Him, and by yielding to his spirit. Trusting. Trust and obey. We sang it. By totally trusting him and fully obeying his word. And I'm so glad Aaron had us sing that hymn. It is trust and obey. There is no other way to be happy in Jesus as we sang. That is the root. But, and why are you going to trust God totally? I mean, absolutely and totally because he's able. You know, I like to give you a takeaway. I said that this morning. When I go to these, you, you know, your restaurants in the U.S. serve such huge portions that Jane and I stagger out there with this styrofoam box every time. We need a takeaway because you expect me to eat twice as much as a normal person could eat when he's my size. So I'm a great believer in takeaways. And I got a takeaway tonight. And it's simple. It's you trust because God is Able more than you think. Listen to this. This is why Ephesians 3, which I forgot to read, but it's an important passage. He said in verse 20, Paul said, Now all glory to God. All glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish. It doesn't say a lot. It doesn't say fantastic. It says more than you can even think as or imagine. <coughs> In other words, no limit, really. And so I want you to grasp that. 
And I want to finish with an example because this, this works. It's a, it's a biblical example and I just about got time to do it before Jane gives me the... <laughs> it's from Daniel, a book that, that teaches... <coughs> book of Daniel, by the way, teaches clearly God's sovereignty over all earthly kingdoms. Uh, and in that book, there's a stirring account of, account of what did... What <coughs> pardon me, what God did through three, three friends of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. This is Daniel 3, an older story. In that story... And it's a very dramatic example of people who totally trust in God's ability. <coughs> we are faced with a very powerful king. This is Nebuchadnezzar. The powerful Nebuchadnezzar said this. He said to these three guys, If you will not worship the golden image, you will immediately be cast into the midst of a furnace, a blazing fire. And he said, What God is there that can deliver you out of my hands? Now that's a power statement. That's a direct challenge to the power of God. That's a human king, all powerful, saying, What king could deliver you from my hands? And you know how they responded? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Because, like us, they had to give allegiance to the supreme power. And they show us what really trusting God means, what it's like. And I want you to notice a confident, unhesitating response of these three friends of Daniel's. They were faced with a powerful human king, and first of all, they made an expression of faith in God's power to do anything he chooses. They believed God could do anything, but secondly, they expressed submission on their part to the will of God thinking he may deliver us from the fire or he may deliver us through the fire they weren't sure so they said this our God whom we serve is able he's able to deliver us and he will deliver us but he didn't stop there but even if he does not let it be known to you O king we are not going to worship the golden image we are not going to worship they were the only ones standing when everyone bowed now of course God did deliver these three men in a way they could never have imagined they perhaps had a hope that God would keep from the fire but he did better than that and it's wonderful if you have trials if you have difficulties if you're going through the fire thank you Dry speakers need all their help. Oh, yes. Thank you. Uh, hey, listen. God brought them through the fire. If you're going through trials, I'm not saying God's going to take you out of the trial. We've found that. We sometimes go through them. But man, what a difference it makes that God is with us in the trial. It's a very important principle. Uh, we'll talk about it next week, how we can trust God because he's with us in every circumstances. And I love this, you know. God brought them out alive. And the detail in scriptures is astounding. It said in verse 27, Daniel 3, there wasn't even a smell of smoke in their clothes. I love that. Not a smell of smoke. So Nebuchadnezzar discovered that his power... Well, it was given to him by the God of all power and he dramatically illustrates the point I'm making about the change in human hearts. How can you change Nebuchadnezzar? The powerful Nebuchadnezzar? Well, God humbled him and he took away his power. 
And he, he had to come to his senses and he proclaimed something very important. At the end of the story, he said what something we all need to, to, to hear. He said, I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise, exalt, and honor the King of Heaven. For all his works are true, his ways are just, and he is able. And this is changing the human heart. He's able to humble those who walk in pride, and that's Nebuchadnezzar. Don't tell me God can't change the human heart. And listen, folks. God's on the throne. He's overseeing worldly events. And we don't yet have the hindsight needed to understand all his purposes. I don't pretend I do. But it's not hard to imagine Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, how they felt. Because just like we do today, they were threatened by an alien culture. They were exiled in Babylon. They were forced to to live under a succession of kings who dismissed God's law, who used their power to advance their own personal agendas. It wasn't any different in those days. But ultimately, God's power overruled all other authorities. And the Bible makes it clear, and this is where we'll go next Sunday night, that while God sets up kings and governments, he reigns on an eternal throne. He is sovereign, and he's sovereign from generation to generation. And I want you to be encouraged and comforted by this understanding, especially today, because, you know, events around us make us understand that, that well, it's very unsettling, and Christians are becoming a minority. You know, in Canada, is no longer a Christian country, and you, you look at what's happening and you say, oh, may the steadfastness of Daniel and his three friends help us to have an unwavering trust in the one true God, the living God, the God who is all-powerful. And may their example help us to live every day in the certain hope of God's plans being realized. On all counts, God is able. And Daniel 7, that wonderful statement comes before us. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. This is the end of the story. All nations and people of every language will worship him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will never pass away. His kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Because, and we'll have a sound clip here, brother, at the end. Because he is king of kings and lord of lords. And the only way I can express it is in this well-known, wonderful music. Amen. Our omnipotent God, as Paul said, God, the blessed and only ruler, King of kings, Lord of lords, who alone is immortal, lives in unapproachable light. To him be honor and might forever and ever. 
May God grip our souls with that. Lord, help us and bless us. Help us to demonstrate your power to change lives. Help us to live consistently each day, ready to serve others, to show your love for them by our actions and the way we reach out to help them. Thank you, Lord, that you use your power for blessing. And we pray for walking it for the glory of Christ, in whose name we give our evening praise. We'll tell you more about King of Kings next Sunday night. God bless you as you go into this week. Thank you so much.